Well, it's good to see you guys on a Labor Day weekend. Great crowd today. It's so awesome to see you. Today, I am going back to a series, in a sense, that we began this year with. You may not remember back then, but we began this year with a series entitled Being Human. And we looked at what I believe is the crucial question of our age, and that is this. What is a human? We're seeing that attacked, we're seeing that questioned, we're seeing that rebelled against. And today I want to talk about an issue that I brought up as an illustration in that series, and I've had a number of people through the months ask me, are you going to talk about that subject? And so I decided today would be the day that we're going to talk about artificial intelligence, which sounds like such a random, obscure topic, and yet it's something that is a part of most of our lives, whether we know it or not. So we want to first of all look at this idea of what is a human being, particularly from God's Word in Psalm 8. So if you have your Bible, I want you to turn to Psalm 8, and then we'll study some implications of artificial intelligence. But let's look at this together. Psalm 8, as soon as you got it, would you stand up again? Let me read this for you, Psalm 8. We assume David wrote this. But certainly God is the author of all scripture. Verse one. Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You who have displayed your splendor above the heavens from the mouths of infants and nursing babies, you have established strength because of your enemies to do away with the enemy and the revengeful. When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, what is man that you think of him? And the son of man that you are concerned about him, yet you have made him a little lower than God and you crown him with glory and majesty. You have him rule over the works of your hands. You have put everything under his feet, all sheep and oxen, and also the animals of the field, the birds of the sky and the fish of the sea, whatever passes through the paths of the sea. Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. Father God, that's where we begin this morning by proclaiming like the Psalm, Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name. God, would your name reign supreme over this time of teaching today in in such an obscure topic like artificial intelligence. God, even in that, would you help us to think deeply and wisely, critically, discerningly about how to live in light of this incredible image that you've given to us as human beings. Lord, we love you. Would you speak to us this morning? And we'll pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. My hunch all morning is that there has been a spectrum of interest in this topic. Some think about it a lot and care about it. Some could care less about artificial intelligence. Some think that this is the thing that will change everything, and you love all the things that is changing. Some see this almost in terms of spiritual warfare. This is yet God. Uh, excuse me, man, if you will, like in the Garden of Eden, trying to take hold of a fruit which he is forbidden to eat from. And I'm probably somewhere in between. There are things about AI technology that I find fascinating. 
And yet, I think there is a spiritual warfare component to it that we need to take seriously. Artificial intelligence is everywhere. It's fascinating that it took a social media site like Twitter two years to get to one million followers. It took ChatGPT five days to get to one million followers. How do I know that? Because ChatGPT wrote this sermon for me. Just kidding. <laughs> AI technology is everywhere. There was a conference that was held in Germany. These are supposed to Christians coming to a church for a conference, and yet every speaker was an AI-driven avatar. The, the, the irony of that picture, human beings gathered in a place of worship to listen to a robot teach them about life. It, it's everywhere. The other day, Terika and I were at a grocery store, and we got to the... Uh, the registry, the self-checkout you know, thing at the end. That's what it's called, right? Self-checkout, right? Okay. I go to grocery stores a lot. Um, and they had this little square, and the guy was just selling this thing. He said, you know, in just a matter of months, you're going to be able to put your palm over this thing, and it's attached to your credit card. You can pay like that. And he was so excited about sharing this, and we looked over and said, that's neat, but, but why would you want to do that? He said, I have no idea. I have no idea. <laughs> AI is everywhere. What is artificial intelligence? Here's one definition. This is from uh, the Britannica, the old you know, Britannica encyclopedia. It says this. It is the ability of a digital computer or computer-controlled robot to perform tasks commonly associated with intelligence Beings. It's a way of talking about human beings. And I'm no expert on AI and not pretending to be one. But it has been fascinating to study this subject over the last week or two in preparation for today. There are largely two different types of AI. You have what some call narrow AI and then general AI. Narrow AI is the one that we are most familiar with. Something that is trained to do a specific task. Like, for instance, evidence or examples of narrow AI would be Alexa, or Google, or I can mess all y'all up right now and go, hey, Siri, just kidding. Those are all examples of narrow AI. General AI is the stuff that people get scared about. General AI happens when the robots essentially become thinking, self-aware, self-conscious machines, sentient beings that are making decisions without the use of human interaction. This is the stuff of Terminator movies, or maybe the old Frankenstein movie where we create the monster and the monster comes to kill us. And there's debate over whether that technology actually exists or not. But all of us use AI in some form or fashion every single day. Here's some surprising uses of AI that you may not have ever thought about being AI. Like for instance, here's 10, social media, Digital assistants like Siri or Alexa. If you shop online and you get prompts about what to buy based on your spending patterns, that's AI technology. Unlocking your phone with your face. Exercising with apps where you store data about how many miles you've run or heart rate, all AI technology. Editing photos, writing, video games, listening to music based on your preferences. Driving, many of you drive cars that will correct you if you get out of the lane 
and put you back into the right lane. All of us, or maybe I should say technically most of us, use AI every single day in ways whether we are willing to admit it or not. And sometimes it can be quite fun. Like, for instance, you can use AI technology to take the faces of your friends and put them on movie pictures. Like, here's a couple that I could do with some of my friends. Like, how about Adrian Kutzenheimer? You can take his face and put it right there on the movie poster. Or Bobby Baggins here from Lord of the Rings. <laughs> and we have Kristen Everdeen. So Kristen Carr's there. Which she's, I will, I will only see you as that from now on, Kristen. Kristen Everdeen. Uh, you have just Lee. I love that. <laughs> With that umlaut on it, just Lee. And then Doc Bonham. So, so AI can be quite fun. What we want to do today is we want, as a backdrop to studying artificial intelligence, understand what God says about human beings. And Psalm 8 is a perfect text to take us to, to think about not only the glory of God, but the glory of man. And then we're going to talk about some implications of AI that I think will face all of us, whether you're a student or retired, you're working, and I'm going to challenge you in your areas of work to actually think about ways you might shape the future of AI. But first, let's look at Psalm 8. There are three truths from this beautiful psalm that are so important for us as believers in Christ to remember. The first is this, truth number one, God is supreme over all and creator of all. The psalmist says that in verse one, Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. He uses two words for Lord in the Hebrew. The first is Yahweh, that covenant name of God. The second is the word from which we get the word like Adonai. It's describing the rule, the exercise, the administration of his power. It's a way of saying in modern language, God, you are God and you are the one who calls the shots which is so important to remember when that's challenged in a field like artificial intelligence, that God, you are supreme over all and creator of all. And then he describes two situations where he sees that. You have displayed your splendor above the heavens. Psalm 19 tells us that the heavens declare the glory of God. Have you ever just gone out on a beautiful night and look at a starlit array of, of just wonder and you think, God, you're so awesome. Now, the stars don't tell us everything there is to know about God, but they reveal something of the majesty and power of God. And the psalmist is declaring the majesty. The majesty is so hard to articulate. It's like going to the Grand Canyon and somehow trying to describe to your friends what that, what that looks like in person. The majesty is hard to describe. God says your glory is displayed above the heavens. And then he says something interesting in verse two. From the mouths of infants... And nursing babies, you have established strength because of your enemies to do away with the enemy and the revengeful. That's a difficult verse to translate. I think it means something like this. You think about a baby and the cry of something as innocent and as weak as a baby. And even the cry of a baby is, in essence, a praise to the God who gave that baby. And from the weakest of things, God can display his strength, strength that will overcome any enemy that comes against him. 
So the psalmist says, number one, God is supreme over all, creator of all. And that gets to number two, second truth from the psalm, humans are intended to be central to creation. He goes on in verses three through eight. He says, yes, when I consider the heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, what is man that you think of him and the son of man that you are concerned about him? He's saying, when I think about the vast, immense size of the galaxy, what, what are human beings in comparison to that? And yet, he goes on to say in verse five, yet you have made him, who? Humans, you have made him a little lower than God. You have crowned him with glory and majesty and you have given him rule over the works of your hands. You put everything under his feet. Examples are the sheep and the oxen and the animals and the birds and the fish. Anything beyond those things, you have given him rule. David here is not only describing the glory and majesty of God, he's also, if we could say it humbly, describing the majesty and glory of man made in God's image. If the question of our day is what is a human being, the issue that we have to wrestle with as believers is understanding what does it mean to be made the image of God? If someone came up to you right now and said, could you explain that to me? What does it mean to be made in the image of God? What would you say? There are lots of wonderful answers, but my favorite is, is one I gave you earlier in the year from John Stott, and I, I can't improve upon his five descriptions of it, so I'll just give these to you again. Five divine capacities because we are made in the image of God. And when I talk about man here, I'm talking about mankind, human beings. Number one, we have a mental capacity. Man has an intelligence, a capacity to reason, to evaluate, to criticize. We have an understanding and an intellect. Now, our intellect alone does not separate us from the animal kingdom. And intellect alone does not make us more valuable to God. If that were the case, then people with Alzheimer's or Down syndrome would somehow be less because they're intellectual capabilities. But the fact that we can reason in the way we can is part of being made in the image of God. Number two, we have a moral capacity. Man has a conscience, a freedom to have moral values and to make moral choices, to choose between right and wrong. Number three, we have a social capacity, that man craves relationships, that to be in a loving relationship, whether that is in a friend relationship or a romantic relationship, is one of the greatest experiences of the human experience because we are made as social beings. When, when the Bible says it is not good for man to be alone, that is not a text just about marriage. It's a text about life. Number four, we have a creative capacity. And this one is really important when it comes to artificial intelligence. We're gonna come back to this. When I say creative capacity, it means that man has a dominion. You notice here in the Psalm, it says that God has given man the commission and the ability to rule over the works of God's hands, all the animals and the fish of the sea. Man has a dominion, a capacity to exercise lordship over creation, to subdue the earth and to be creative. Man has a, a drive towards being creative. It's why we as human beings, we write songs and we write poetry and, and we build companies and we, we love winning baseball games and restoring cars and building buildings. That's part of the creative mark of being made in the image of God. We are co-creators 
with God. Number five, man has a spiritual capacity. The desire and the longing to worship. That's why we talk about idolatry is so dangerous because we take this natural God-given desire to worship and we apply that worship to things that are not worthy of worship. Because we have a spiritual nature, we wrestle with questions like, who am I? And that separates us from the animals. I love my dog. My dog never sits around and goes, who am I really? But human beings do that all the time. In fact, some humans take their life because of wrestling with the question, who am I? I want you to see that the Bible's depiction of man made in the image of God is very different than what you're gonna hear from our culture or anyone from a secular humanistic worldview. And that's been true through the ages. Charles Darwin said that man is an animal. Sigmund Freud said man is a spoiled child. Karl Marx said man is an economic factor. But the Bible thoroughly and dogmatically declares that unlike the rest of his creation, Human beings are made in the divine image of God. When sin came, it distorted that image. It didn't destroy it, but it distorted it, which is why we need a savior. It's why we need Jesus. Now, the third truth I want you to see from the psalm is about Jesus, though his name is not in here. And here's what I want you to see, number three. Jesus has been exalted by God over creation. This text in Psalm 8 does not talk about Jesus, but Jesus used this text to talk about himself in the New Testament. And it points to how we should understand this text in light of Jesus. So let me give you two pivotal examples. The first is in Matthew 21, the other is in Hebrews chapter two. So Matthew 21 is a time when Jesus had cleansed the temple and the religious leaders were just indignant how, how can you receive the praise of these kids saying Hosanna to you? So look at Matthew 21, 15 and 16. But when the chief priests and the scribes saw the wonderful things that he had done and the children who were shouting in the temple area, Hosanna to the son of David, they became indignant. And they said to him, do you hear what these children are saying? Now, what does Jesus say back to them? Yes, have you never read? From the mouths of infants and nursing babies, you have prepared praise for yourself. Now, where's that come from? Psalm 8. God is using even the weakness of children to declare his praise and his strength. Hebrews 2 is another occasion where the psalm is quoted. He quotes it almost at length. He says in Hebrews 2, verse 6, but someone has testified somewhere saying, what is man that you think of him or a son of man that you are concerned about him? You have made him for a little while lower than angels. You have crowned him with glory and honor. You have put everything in subjection under his feet. For in subjecting all things to him, he left nothing that is not subject to him. But now we do not yet see all things subjected to him. But we do see him who was made for a little while lower than the angels, namely Jesus, because of his suffering death, crowned with glory and honor, so that by the grace of God, he might taste death for everyone. In other words, Jesus is using Psalm 8 as it talks about the weakness of man to talk about his great strength through his salvation. 
that yes, we do not see the world subjected to God in the way that we will in eternity, but we do see Jesus who exalted himself by becoming a man so that we could be exalted by having our life in him. I love what C.S. Lewis said. He said, the son of God became a man so that men could become sons of God. That's what happened in the great exchange of Jesus on the cross for your sin and for mine, that because of sin and the fallen, distorted image of God, we can be restored in Jesus, the new Adam, the new man, by giving our lives to him. Now, let's get to AI. Understanding what we do now about being made in the image of God. And think about some implications that AI has for our life and how do we as thinking Christians, that's what I hope you are, not a superficial Christian, but a a deep thinking Christian. How do you apply it to different areas of your life? Well, first and foremost, we should state that AI is a tool that can be used for positive and negative ends. It's like this hammer. You, You can do good things with this hammer, you could rebuild a home after a hurricane or a wildfire. You, well, let's be honest, I got this from backstage. You could like hang a picture in a home, this little junior thing that we got right here. But you could also take this hammer and walk around a crowd and indiscriminately hit people and cause a lot of damage. So the tool can be used for both positive and negative things. It depends on who's using the tool. AI, in a similar fashion, is a tool created by humans that can be used for positive ends and negative ends. We've discussed some of the everyday uses that many of us would consider positive uses of AI. Others might be things like developing Bible translations, which is happening right now. We're able to translate the Bible in all kinds of languages it's never been translated into because of AI. It's used in farming. It's used in driving directions. It's used in self-correcting automobiles. It's used in all kinds of ways we use that many of us would consider positive, but it's also used in negative ways as well. Certainly, AI is designed to get you addicted to your device. I hope you know that. If you feel like you're addicted to your device, it's not completely your fault, though you will have to make some hard choices to not be addicted to it. It is designed for you to be addicted to it. And then we can think about all the other sensational, sinful ways that AI would contribute to the use of things like pornography, racism, anger, and violence. I mean, think about just how you treat Alexa on a daily basis when she drives you crazy, right? You scream at her, you yell at her, poor Alexa. And then you have the whole question of government regulation. Now, I'm not gonna pretend to know what the answer is there, but but there's a number of, of people in the tech world that are starting to voice great concerns that AI is getting out ahead of where we know how to control it and it needs some kind of regulation, which brings into tension issues like free speech versus government regulation. These are very complicated matters and, and as we think about implications of AI, I want you to think about whatever agency you have, whatever influence, whatever leadership you have, to bring that into your spheres of influence when it comes to the use of technology and AI. I would encourage many of you who are followers of Jesus to run for office if you feel so led. 
and to help shape policy when it comes to this kind of thing. Maybe you're in the military and you can help in that way. I'm gonna encourage those of you who are CEOs in a minute of what you can do with AI and even students of what you can do with AI. Let's think about some implications of where AI shows itself and how we need to think about how does this help or hurt us as those made in the image of God. Six, we'll go through uh, very briefly. And uh, why six? Because that's how many chat GPT gave me. All right, number one. Just kidding. Number one is work. Work. There's a dignity in work. When you look at Genesis 1, Adam was given a job to cultivate the garden long before sin came into the world. Work is not a product of the fall. Work got harder because of the fall, but there's a glory and dignity in work. AI is changing and will change how we work. This country was formed largely by people hundreds of years ago who are all farmers. Most of you today are not farmers. Technology has changed the way you work, how you make a living, how you provide for your families. I have no doubt that we're going through a a second technological revolution right now, much like the first industrial revolution in the late 19th century, and it's gonna change the nature of work. Many of you are in jobs that will be eliminated because of AI technology. Companies are changing what they do. Even ones that we interact with all the time. I read this week about Wendy's, who's now experimenting with completely AI-driven drive-through experiences. And I don't know what that's like. It's gotta be better than the real person one they have. But anyways. (laughs) But the thing about AI technology is it doesn't need a vacation. Its kids never get sick. It doesn't need a holiday. It is cheaper in the long run, and more productive than a lot of the human tasks in the long run. And which is why, if you are an employer, or a CEO, or someone who can provide jobs, I don't know what you need to do in terms of how you make your company profitable, but I hope and pray that you will fight hard for image bearers made in the image of God to see a dignity and glory in their work. And the same is true for students, If you shortcut the learning process by cheating through AI technology, you're shortcutting part of how God has made you in his image to learn and to be educated. So these are all dynamics that we all have to deal with all the time. Work, not just how you make a living, but how you you co-create with God. Number two, a second area, is the area of privacy. Here, one of the key issues with the image of God is just how do we love our neighbor well when AI can be used to manipulate other people? I think about deep fakes. You know what a deep fake is? It's where someone can take your face and put it on someone else's body and and create an experience where you think it's someone doing what they never consented to do. Now, there's some funny, fascinating ones, like all the Tom Cruise deep fake videos, which are fascinating to watch. But certainly we've seen some manipulate others through the use of deep fake technology through AI. And, and they're really violating the privacy and the dignity of someone else made in the image of God. The same is true when it comes to promoting your businesses. For those of you who are in sales, or just for anyone in business who's trying to add to your bottom line, which is, I think, a normal and natural intention of business, 
AI is gonna give you ways to be more marketable, more profitable, and to get inside the minds of the people that you're trying to sell to. And I just wanna caution you to think about people not as, as commodities to be bought and sold, but these are people made in the image of God. And is what you're doing violating what it means for them to be made in the image of God? Our personal data, what are we doing with it? Who has it now? What are they doing with it? Do we think about that? And one of the books that I gave you on your listening guide, Jason Thacker, I think he asked some good questions when it comes to ethical questions with personal privacy. Like for instance, number one, do we actually have a right to privacy or is that simply the idea conferred to Western culture? Is our data private or is it free for sharing by whatever their purpose is? Who should or who should not have access to these powerful tools of automation and means of social influence? These are critical philosophical questions that we need to think through at whatever level of control you have in your sphere of influence than we often have because you are made in the divine image of God. The third area is the area of war. I am no military expert, nor do I pretend to be one, but I do know that our military uses AI in a number of ways, in weapons of war, drones, aircraft, other things. And I'll be honest, I want us to have it and them not to, right? But let's also recognize that there's something very dehumanizing about someone who goes and sits in a booth in a room in Arizona and stares at a video screen with a control stick in front of him who can kill somebody in the Middle East with merely the punch of a button. I'm not saying that's right or wrong, but notice how dehumanizing it is to have war with people you're not even in the same proximity with, let alone the use of nuclear weapons and other things. Now, I do think that Romans 13 allows for the government to bear the sword on our behalf. I also wanna recognize that in the Christian tradition, there is a long history of pacifism, abstaining from warfare, simply because they think it violates others made in the image of God. Have you thought about where you stand on that position and why? We need to think through these things. Maybe some of you have sway in the military world or you will go into the military and you can help shape policies that both are there to protect not only a country, but also those made in the image of God. Number four, friends. We're seeing the rise of AI companions, people who get chatbots to talk to and they get home from work or they get home from school to have conversations with. And I think that that is a bad solution to a genuine problem. And the problem is one that is plaguing our country and culture today. And that's the problem of isolation and loneliness. So many people are lonely. So they'll turn to a robot to give them conversation. The problem is that robot, no matter how human-like it may seem, is not a human made in the image of God. And you need friends to shape you in all kinds of ways. I tell you another implication of this with friendship is that because of AI, your feed, your social media feed is gonna get filled up with stuff and the people that you agree with. That's how it works. You like stuff, you like certain pictures, you scroll, you stay on this picture more than other pictures, and it learns that about you. And so guess what it does? It gives your feed all the things you already like 
So the implication is we get an echo chamber of people who already agree with us from the most point, never disagree with us in any way, never shape us to consider other points of view. And so your friends are people that never push you to do anything other than that which is already comfortable to you. It's not a true friendship. AI technology wars against empathy, listening, sharpening, discerning the thoughts of others because we simply get filled with stuff we already agree with. And that goes to number five, that's church. Church is influenced by AI in a couple different ways. One is that very much like we just talked about friendship, one of the things that we're gonna have to emphasize a lot at Johnson Ferry in the future, and we're trying to do this right now as well, is emphasize this role of authentic biblical community. Church is never meant to be an event or an only event that you come to and you hear somebody talk and you sing some songs and you pray some prayers and you head out the door and we'll see you again in seven days. That, that is not the full expression of what it means to be the church. The church is to be a family that gathers together, that weeps together, that loves one another, that forgives one another, that bears one another's burdens, that does life together. Do we do that perfectly? Of course not. But that is the goal. Truth matters, purpose matters, but that belonging piece is so important in our age. I, I read a fascinating article last week by Carl Truman. It was called The Death of the Church and Pub. And he is, uh, I believe, an Englishman, or maybe he's from Scotland. I can't remember where he's from, but he talked about going back home to Europe, and what he's seeing is just the vast disappearance of pubs and churches, largely for the same reason. People don't know how to live in community with others anymore. Now, AI technology could help us as a church. Maybe there are ways that AI could help us get the gospel to people who have never heard it. Like I talked about earlier, there's Bible translations. I think even when it comes to people engaging with what we do online, that's not necessarily a bad thing, all, as long as it is a bridge to the real thing of skin to skin, flesh with flesh, in-person community, church. All right, number six, the last one we're gonna look at today is this eye of immortality. Longevity is a really popular subject today. There are a lot of people focused on how do we live longer, healthier lives, and that's not a bad thing. I'm particularly interested in that myself. How do I live longer and healthier? But there are some, particularly with a humanistic worldview, that see AI as a pathway to human immortality. Like, for instance, a formal, former Google engineer and prominent futurist named Ray Kurzweil. By the way, how do you get the title of a futurist? I would like to be a futurist. Can I put that on a business card? Pastor and futurist. I have no idea what they do, but anyways. All right, he said this. This is his bold prediction. He said, humans will achieve immortality in the next seven years thanks to the help of nanorobots. He says, we will soon have nanobots running through our veins destroying cancer cells and things that help us to age and illnesses such that we can have everlasting life. Now, let me remind you theologians, let me ask you, what, what is the penalty of sin? Do you remember? 
death. Death. Though we may try, we will never conquer our death problem. But aren't you grateful that God has conquered it for you in Jesus? It's so ironic, tragically ironic, that those in the AI world, many of whom want to turn humans into God, the gospel starts with God becoming a human so that you can be a son of God. And, and I don't blame them, people who want to live, you know, immortal lives, because I don't think there are truly atheists in the world. There are some who claim that, but I've just met very few people who, at the end of the day, think that I'm going to live, die, go in the ground, and that's it. God has set eternity in the hearts of people. I think John C. Lennox gets it so right. He says this, the transhuman quest is an expression of our hardwired longing for something transcendent, implying that we were made for another world. Now let me wrap this up and then we're gonna commission um, some sent ones, which is always a great way to do and end our services. Let me just say this about AI. First of all, it's not going anywhere. You know, some of y'all may hear this today and go, Lord Jesus, come tomorrow. Please just take me home. I don't wanna live in this world. And maybe there's some way that you can get off the grid, move to some random place, you know, no electricity, you're churning butter, making clothes. All, I mean, if that's what you wanna do, most of us can't escape it. So we need to recognize that it's a tool that can be used for positive and negative outcomes. And so here's the deal. Are we gonna be the kind of thinking, discerning, biblical Christians who can think well about being made in the image of God and figure out how do we do life in light of the challenges that currently exist. I hope that whatever, with whatever degree of influence you have, you will shape the world to see that we are made in God's image. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you for what we are reminded of today, and that is that you have made us in your image to worship you, to glorify you, and yet you've also given us responsibility to rule over this world under the lordship that you have given to us. And I pray, Father, that as believers, we would do that well in a way that glorifies you, that, that God, we could say, Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. God, I pray that today someone who doesn't know Jesus would come to know Jesus. And God, maybe that's the whole reason they're here. They came to talk about AI, but let's get honest. The real issue is the issue of their heart. And God, there's anyone here today who needs to receive the gift of salvation by believing in Jesus Christ who died on the cross for their sins and was raised from the grave that they might have eternal life. God, today, would you come into their life? Would you change them? Would you save them? Would you forgive them? as they repent of their sin and put their trust in you. God, we love you and we thank you for your word and all the ways your spirit works. We'll pray that in Jesus' name, amen.